Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Wall and my guest today is Aldo Vacca. Aldo is the Managing Director of the Produttori del Barbaresco, which is basically the cooperative in the Barbaresco region, which is in Piemonte. Aldo, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So first question is, how big is your cooperative? How many members or soci do you have? We have 54 members, farmers. We produce uh, half a million bottles and we control around 110 hectares of Nebbiolo grapes out of a total of the population of 700. So for Barbaresco, we are a large winery, but in the scheme of the wine world, we are relatively medium size. Right, so the Barbaresco Cooperative is, is known in Italy as being, if not one of the best, certainly the best cooperative. What is the secret of your success? Is it the fact that you're fairly small size and you have fantastic terroir, or is it a little bit more than that? That is true, but it's a little bit more than that. There's one secret of the success of Produttori was the decision that was taken at the, the year of the foundation in 1958 to focus on one grape only, Nebbiolo, and one wine only, Barbaresco. And everything came consequently out, out uh, of that decision. Back in those days, it wasn't an easy decision. In fact, it was a bit of a marketing suicide to do that. Barbaresco was not an easy wine to sell, and it was not a wine widely consumed. Of course, local people were drinking mainly Dolcetto, Barbera, and uh, Barbaresco was reserved for special events, maybe twice a year for a wedding or anniversary, and usually in those special occasions, Barolo was the choice. So here we are, we have a wine which with a reputation, but without much of a market. A wine that is limited to special events, and it's a second choice for those. Focusing on that wine only for a winery, it was quite uh, a big uh, step. And even nowadays, we are the only winery in the region that is a monovarietal, basically. It makes only Barbaresco and crushes only Nebbiolo from the Barbaresco appellation. So because of that decision made marketing business like difficult, it forced the winery to produce quality. The only way to survive on the market, if you make only Barbaresco is to make it good because Barbaresco doesn't have the, it never had the low end market and also even more important it forced the farmers the Sochi to build a quality mindset when they were growing their grapes in the years when everything was more focusing about quantity you know, the 50s the 60s the 70s these farmers took the opposite way because it was the way for them uh, to survive. The decision of making only Barbaresco was not easy, but the founder of the winery was the local priest. Really? Don Fiorino, which was a young priest that was moved uh, by the bishop in Barbaresco in 1954. And he had this idea of giving a chance to the villagers to make a better living and maybe saving his parish because everybody, of course, were kind of selling their land and moving to Torino or to Milano. So that was um, that may seem strange to us today that, you know, Barbaresco and yeah. Nebbio and Piemonte, beautiful area. But in those days, after the war, Italy was incredibly poor and the Italian economic miracle happened after the war where famous brands like Fiat, for example, were churning out cars that um, everybody wanted to buy. And obviously you're guaranteed a salary in the city. It's much easier, well, not easy work, but more reliable work, should we say, than working on slopey, hard slopes in the Barbaresco region on, in a, on a hot day. So that is why people were leaving the land. Uh, so that must have been a real struggle um, when the priest said, listen, let's, let's try and preserve our heritage. Yes. And the yeah. only way we can do it is by sticking together, right? Stick it together. Together you can achieve something that would be impossible to do on, on your own because you are too small to have your own winery. And so if you grow your land, you are forced to sell your grapes and the price is set by the buyers. That was what was happening in the 50s. So what is these, I mean, in terms of what is the, you, the typical size on 
average of your SOSHI, of your members, and what range are we talking about? Well, who is the smallest and who is the biggest yeah. in terms so of size? The, the average size is like two hectares. Which is tiny. Very tiny. There's a number, like a dozen of SOSHI that they just have just a half an acre. It's very tiny. They're just like the local postman or an old lady in the village that still has a piece of land. And then there are some of the SOSHI, they have four or five one, the biggest is 11 hectares. Which so is still very small. Yeah, still very small. Again, usually too small to have your own winery, although these days you can start a boutique winery and sell your wine, Barbaresco, for 50 euros a bottle. But in those days, it was practically impossible. So that decision, making only Nebbiolo, was very crucial. Then, of course, the terroir is very important. The fact that Barbaresco was a little behind Barolo in terms of uh, sales and marketing and reputation, the result of that fact was that the owners of the top crews, the top land in Barbaresco in the 50s, were basically still farmers. Like a lot of the best vineyards in Barolo were already owned by people making wine, in Barbaresco they were still farmers. And so when the priest was able to convince, now the priest in those days had, had enough charisma, these days will not be like that because uh, there were 19 uh, farmers, the original founders, now stubborn Piemontese uh, farmers, not very easy to get along, but the priest pushed them. And so the farmers that joined, they actually owned pieces of the great uh, cruise. I think we are the only, at least one of very, very few wine cooperatives in Europe that can claim control on the majority of the Grand Cruise, if you want to call so, of, of the region. So terroir is very important. The decision on focus on that terroir only and Barbaresco only, not spreading to Dolcetto, Barbera, white wines. The other decision was very important at the beginning was the one percent delivery so my 54 farmers they deliver to the winery only the nebbiolo grapes that they grow if they grow dolcetto chardonnay they do whatever they want but when it comes to the nebbiolo they have to deliver 100 percent of their nebbiolo so they cannot compete with the cooperative a lot of cooperatives allow their farmers to do both and uh, we we trust them but not too much so we prefer they are obliged to deliver all the nebbiolo that they grow so they cannot keep on the best one and deliver the not so good so very very focused on that and finally the third decision was taken right from the beginning from day one was the quality reward the higher quality of the grapes the more money per kilo of grapes so how many grades are there in terms of quality is it like three uh, grades five grades uh, 31 31 <laughs> grades we 31 build grade, uh, just growing grapes yes it's very precise we measure quality these days by measuring for each load of grapes sugar color and tannins at the beginning was just sugar but every single load of grapes that comes to the winery is uh, weighted crushed a sample is, is uh, taken like half a pint of juice put into a spectrophotometer and three numbers pop out from the spectrophotometer sugar level color brightness and ripeness of the fanin or the phenolic of the tannins so by measuring color sugar and tannins we have a precise quality judgment of that single batch and at the end of the harvest we build the scoreboard from the lower quality to the top quality last year just to give you an example we paid 2.5 euros per kilo up to 5.6 so 31 steps of 10 cents every little extra color every little extra sugar level gets 10 20 30 extra cents per kilo so the farmers are very focused they deliver the grapes uh, multiple times you now they pick one vineyard first because it's ripe they wait for the other little plot to ripe a little longer if rain is coming they may deliver the bottom of the hill first and wait for the, for the top of the hill to survive the rain if the weather is nice the top of the hill comes in first and the bottom of the hill ripens a little longer in the october sun so they take those decisions themselves but they know that the better quality they deliver at the time of picking the more money will be in their pocket we don't really pay grapes we share profit so the more successful is the business, the bigger is the cake to be shared. How big each single piece of the cake is depends on how much land the farmer owns and how good his grapes were 
in that given vintage. Now, this is something that a lot of cooperatives, a lot of wineries do these days, although the 31 steps is quite rare, but quality reward really started to become a factor in the Lange in Piemonte by in the 80s. We started to implement that from 1958. That really, again, set the produttori apart from many other cooperatives. Yes, yeah, set the Barbaresca cooperative. And yeah. some people are probably wondering um, why people would want to bother just selling grapes rather than making their own wine. If you're a small producer, you're not going to have the economy of scale to buy vats or build a winery. And then there's all the commercial side, you know, all the legal side, the designing labels and bottling and corks and storage and boxes and, and invoices and, and then customs declaration, all that sort of stuff. So they're kind of avoiding that, which means that they can actually focus on one thing which is growing the grapes. And that is why this system, that's the great advantage of the system of the cooperative in general, but also of this particular cooperative, that there is this absolute focus using these quality parameters. Yes, and then of course they also have, if you want to start your own winery, besides all the things you mentioned, you also have to be willing to deal with people and be nice with people. And Piedmontese farmers, sometimes they just like to stay on their own. So no, there's a lot of skills that are required to be to start a successful winery. Of course, these days it will be easy for some of them to do it because these days the market is booming but at this point the producer is so well established and we we pay their grapes so well that from a strictly financial point of view there's no reason to leave produttori of course if you are a farmer with a good piece of land and you have a big ego and you want to put your name on the label then you leave and start your own winery but if you look only at the finances at the economy just doesn't make any sense so in the 60 years of lifetime of produttori only four farmers left less than one per decade to start their own winery. And we got some news, so from 19 we grew up to 54. It's been a nice uh, balance. We're still small, but you know, we, we control more than half of the Nebbiolo vineyards in the village of Barbaresco itself. So we're very much a Barbaresco village winery. Do you have any contact with other high-quality cooperatives in Italy? Say, for example, in the Marco, they're, they're quite known for some really high-quality cooperatives, mainly producing uh, white wine, but also a little bit of red. Do you, do you get together and chat about stuff or not? Uh, occasionally, but not in a... Although I thought about like doing the Vinitali Fair or other fairs together with uh, top wine cooperatives or bringing the message of the cooperatives uh, in the wine fairs. But then uh, we, we never actually get to that. Of course, I, I know several of them and we are in good uh, good relationship, but we we start we think more about us just like a, as a winery. So I sometimes I... I do promotion and, uh, and uh, marketing with other privately owned wineries from the same region rather than trying to, to coordinate effort with uh, cooperatives from other regions. It just seems like Piedmontese kind of stick together. So what about the main markets? We sell 70% of our production uh, in the export market. The number one market like everybody else in Piemonte these days is the USA. We sell one third of our total production to the US. And, and the main states? California and New York. Uh, but we have a very good market in the Northwest. So Oregon, Washington State, they've been uh, f- uh, loyal followers of Piemonte wines and Produttore de Barbaresco in specific for since the 90s. Uh, but of course, California and New York State are the biggest. And the Boston area, of course, uh, that's also you know, the, usual, the usual big market. But it's also a growing market. Actually, we cannot keep up with the <laughs> demand. So we are not really exploring much of the new markets like Eastern Europe or or the Far East. Uh, so we sell more in the historical markets, which are Northern Europe, North America, and Japan. That's our the big chunk of our export market. And then 30%, so one third again, is the domestic market. Because Produttore de Barbaresco 
is a very strong brand locally yeah. around now in Piemonte. Isn't that a good thing Milan. though? It's a good thing. It's good to be present in the local restaurants because of course we have flocks of tourists coming and then you know, it's nice to be well received from the local people. Sometimes you know, resident local people, they want, of course they want to drink a, a good local wine but maybe they don't want to spend the extra money that comes with the reputation and things. So they know that they can trust Produttori as a, a very true Barbaresco very good quality and very good value as well. Excellent. Thanks very much, Aldo Vaca, for explaining the ins and outs of the cooperative system at the Produttori Barbaresco. Italy's, uh, I'm going to say Italy's number one cooperative, but I think you, yeah, I'm pretty safe saying that Italy's number one cooperative. To hear about the history and to get a real sense of what it is like being in a cooperative, because it's in some ways it's a bit of a closed world. Oh, it's just people just dump their grapes and they get paid by kilo and they're just going for yield and all that. But in your case, with these parameters that you and your team uh, have laid out, show that it's a very complex but very, I think, a very fair system that you've created. Yes, it's very fair to all the farmers. Again, that's why we measure the quality with a machine so there's no no debate no debate and it's uh, relatively simple because it's a well-oiled machine uh, that we are we have been uh, 60 doing years this system for 60 years yeah. Yeah. and it's just one grape yeah. so that makes life a little easier when it comes to the quality evaluation and the strategic decisions to be taken so we make we have three labels the Langenebiolo, which is the introductory level mm-hmm which is declassified Barbaresco, basically. Then we make the Barbaresco, which is a blend of Nebbiolo grapes from the region, from the Appalachian. And then in the best years, we also release nine single vineyards, like the Grand Cru, uh, nine historical vineyards from the village of Barbaresco. We select, cherry pick the best grapes from those nine vineyards, age them a couple of extra years, and sell them under the reserve program. So what are, what are some of the names of those crews? Azili, very famous, always high scores. Uh, Rabaya, Monte Stefano, Ovello. These are all geographical sites. For example, I live in the Ovello region on top of the hill, but the, the, the vineyards around my house, that's the Ovello area. So strictly a difference in terroir, no? a little bit, little bit more sand, a little more calcium, a little closer to the river, a little steeper, south-exposed, southeast. Now those things that makes a difference from one vineyard to the other, vinified exactly in the same way on, on purpose, just to show the terroir rather than trying to make the wine better or, or more similar. So a great thing to do if you're a student of wine and you're allowed to and you ask um, Aldo and his team very, very nicely would be to go into the winery at harvest time, maybe a few weeks after the harvest has started, to taste the different crews as they've finished fermenting to get a sense of Barbaresco from the cooperative point of view, but also the, the individualities that go up to make the blend uh, at the end. That would be a fascinating thing. I don't know if you allow people to do that, but... Um, Not on a regular basis because we don't have enough wine, but occasionally, yeah. you know, I, I organise like... Just charge a thousand euros yeah, exactly. for a ticket, you know. Maybe they get a plate of salami as well. Yeah, yeah. but it's true that the horizontal tasting, so the same vintage, nine vineyards, vinified exactly in the same way is a fascinating fascinating experience because it's the same winemaking and you can really appreciate the little uh, nuances of the terroir. Aldo Vaca from the Produttori del Barbaresco, which is the Barbaresco Cooperative. Thanks very much for opening the door to your wonderful cooperative in Piemonte. Thank you. And uh, you spoke beautifully and eloquently about the benefits of being in a cooperative and it's good to hear um, I, I like it when people work together Italy is always oh there's such individuals which you guys are but, but um, when you work together and, and produce the results that you do that it shows that a bit of teamwork sometimes is a great thing yes it's a good thing and it's, it's, it's well managed it, it works fine everybody's happy you know, the money flows nicely and the reputation is there so the farmers are also proud to be yeah. part of something so special great stuff Aldo Vaca Produttori de Barbaresco thanks a lot thank you
Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.